Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, welcome back. Thank you for joining our clients, our listeners here for the Snapshot on a Tuesday morning. I know you're joining us, Jason, to talk about a blog you recently authored by by the way, is now available for our listeners, our clients up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. The title of that blog is Fatter Tales. Though within Jason, you do suggest that the economic and policy news of the past few weeks, it suggests that the tales of the distribution of outcomes for the U.S. economy in 12 months or so have gotten marginally fatter, so to speak. So Jason, to start, what exactly do you mean by that? What I'm referring to is, you know, what is the state of the U.S. economy 12 months from now as we go towards the end of 2023 and into 2024? The economy at one end of the spectrum could be, you know, doing quite well. It could have avoided a recession. We've had a soft landing. Inflation has come down significantly. That's the best case scenario. At the other end of the spectrum, you could have an economy that's now not only in recession, but a relatively deep recession because the Fed raised rates quite significantly. And there's a whole range of possibilities in between. Uh, you know, in our base case, is something more along the lines of a mild recession, you know, growth below trend, but you know, the growth is still better than it would typically be in a normal recession. The unemployment rate doesn't rise quite as, as much as it would again in an average recession. So that's sort of our base case. Details then sort of refer to, if you think of a probability distribution of, of outcomes, you know, the tail is like the really up, extreme upside scenarios and also the extreme downside scenarios. And the probability of those, when I say they're fatter tails, that means there's more probability on those kind of extreme outcomes than we would have thought maybe just two to three weeks ago. And this is not a dramatic change. I'm seeing more at the margin. You know, we're seeing maybe a little more probability of both those outcomes, uh, given the events of the past few weeks so in terms of assessing how things could play out. So that's sort of the, the, the reference to it in terms of fatter tails. Well, Jason, thank you for that context. Uh, running with this a bit further within the blog, you do mention, Jason, how policy news is one reason why the tails may be fatter. And this comes following the Fed's FOMC meeting from last week, which was market moving. So, Jason, what is the takeaway from that particular meeting and why would it lead to a wider dispersion of economic outcomes? Well, the overall takeaway from the meeting uh, was based off of Jay Powell's uh, press conference after the uh, after the statement announcing they've raised interest rates 75 basis points. The general perception among investors was that he was relatively hawkish. Uh, he pushed back against the narrative that, or the view in the, in the market, perhaps the Fed could be getting close to pausing or pivoting. He said, you know, we're a very long way away from thinking about Indian rate hikes. Uh, he suggested that uh, the terminal Fed fund rate, like how far they could raise rates, may be higher than what they forecast in September. So implying that when they revise and update those forecasts in December, that that number could go you know, higher. But if you were to distill it down to sort of a simple phrase to take away from the meeting, uh, it kind of comes down to the Fed's rate hiking policy path is going to be slower but higher, meaning they will be a little bit slower in terms of how they raise rates going forward. Uh, but ultimately, the final destination of how high they'll, go, they'll raise rates has gone up a little bit. Uh, so just to think about it in kind of more quantitative terms, the next FOMC meeting is in mid-December. The market's been debating whether they raise rates to 75 or 50 basis points. As a result of this slower but higher framework, the odds of a 75 basis point hike have then gone down, at least marginally, whereas going higher means the probability of them ultimately raising the Fed funds rate above 5%. That's gone up. 
So that's kind of, you think, in quantitative terms, what that means. Now, relating this back to the point about fatter tails, this shift in uh, in a policy approach could actually increase the probability of both the upside kind of you know, soft landing scenario, but also the probability of the kind of a harder landing recession scenario. The positive interpretation of this policy, you know, tweak, let's call it that, is by going a little bit slower, the Fed can take a little more time to assess the incoming data, see how it's reacting to the tightening that's already been put in place, because we know raising interest rates Pending financial conditions, it takes a lag effect before it really shows up in the economy, especially the labor market and inflation. By going a little bit slower from here on out, uh, it gives them a little more time to be able to assess that. In doing so, it reduces the risk that they go really aggressively and hike rates too much, maybe more than is necessary, which would almost you know, kind of guarantee a recession. So if they went aggressively, they could hike rates 75 basis points in December, 50, say, on, on February 1, and then can continue from there. A more measured pace would be, say, 50 and 25. That might be enough to just at the margin at least change the risk that they over-tighten or reduce that risk. Uh, and if they reduce that risk, it means there's a little more incremental chance that you could end up getting a soft landing because the Fed could be, become a little more data-dependent. At the other end of the spectrum, there is a risk that by going a little bit slower, the Fed allows inflation expectations and inflation to become more embedded. You know, it's like they should have gone aggressively because inflation is going to be sticky. Uh, and the longer they wait to raise rates and get rid of inflation, the more they have to go to actually induce a deeper recession to finally get rid of inflation. So that's the other risk is that by going a little bit more at a slightly slower pace, even if they end up at the same level, maybe that level actually has to be higher to really get rid of inflation. If that's the case, then that's the downside scenario where they go very aggressive and they end up having a harder recession, one that might end up being a little bit later than otherwise we would have expected but it still materializes in a more deep recession. So this slower but higher, slower part benefits the upside, the higher part maybe you have to be even higher than that, that to, you know, you know, increases the probability of the, the extreme downside uh, tail scenario. So Jason, turning to the economic data itself, what have you observed in the recent data that would suggest that the probabilities of a soft-ish landing and a hard landing recession have both gone up marginally? Well, what we've seen in the recent data, whether it is you know, the jobs report for October, the ITM manufacturing and service indices for, uh, you know, for October as well, third quarter GDP, uh, even inflation data, is that there in some way there's really sort of two economies going on right now in the U.S. There's an economy that is doing reasonably well, that's just kind of, you know, dominated by the services sector, which is kind of fully kind of starting to bounce back after extreme dislocations during the pandemic. Then there's the sort of manufacturing and goods consumption side of the economy that is you know, slowing you know, fairly decently after absolutely booming in you know, late 2020 and much of 2021. So if you think of, you know, sort of an economy as a, that goes on cycles, it's like a pendulum swinging back and forth from weakness to strength. But typically most parts of the economy are sort of somewhat in sync. You know, the timing can be a little off, but things are kind of strengthening and weakening simultaneously. The pandemic had this effect of leading to extreme distortions on the goods and services side. So as if, you know, the pandemic sort of pulled the goods side of the economy to an extreme positive outcome, and it took the services side pendulum to the extreme negative, and then let them go. So you went extreme, and now they're kind of normalizing back to where they should be, which means goods consumption looks like it's actually declining, where services consumption is holding up. You can actually see that in the third quarter GDP, Real goods consumption expenditures fell by 1.2% in the quarter, while real services consumption expenditures increased by 2.8%. 
he netted out the total uh, you know, uh, increase was 1.4% in real personal expenditures, but a very different story between services and consumption and goods consumption. Similarly, in the manufacturing or the ISM indices, the, uh, the manufacturing one fell to 50.2 in October. 50 is sort of kind of the break even. If you're below that, that means you're generally kind of contracting. The services decline a little bit, but it's still at 54.4, which is, you know, kind of a normal average healthy reading for the services sector. We turn to inflation. Um, goods inflation dropped to 6.6% in September, but it peaked out at 12.3 in February. Over that same period of time, core service inflation went from 4.4% in February to 6.7% in September. So you're seeing, again, the reversal. Goods inflation is coming down, services inflation going higher. So two very different tracks. If we think about then what does it mean for you know, these you know, outcomes for the economy over the next year, there's again sort of a positive and, and negative interpretations. The positive kind of view is that these are sort of somewhat offsetting. So as the good side of the economy slows down, as manufacturing slows down, the services side of the economy holds up. The economy kind of kind of muddle through. Uh, it continues to normalize. If you think of again the pendulum analogy, it's swinging back and forth, but each time it swings, it, the amplitude gets smaller and eventually kind of settles in place or the goods and services side kind of re-sync up, that normalization should ultimately kind of be disinflationary. So the positive interpretation is that we kind of muddle along because these factors had to balance out. We eventually normalize, inflation comes down, and you end up with a you know, softish type of landing. The more pessimistic interpretation is that, well, yes, the good side is cooling, but the services side is still running too hot. That's where wage growth is running high. In services, is you know two-thirds to 75% of the economy so it has a disproportionate impact on, on the outlook. If that continues to run sort of too hot and we don't get sort of the cooling in the labor market because services remain strong, we don't get cooling in overall inflation, the Fed might ultimately have to raise rates even more aggressively to, you know, to bring it down. So that strength and resiliency in the service side of the economy in some way can be kind of counterproductive because it allows the forces the Fed to be even more aggressive. And that increases the risks of the hard landing. So like the Fed policy point, the economic data, that divergence between kind of goods and services, among other aspects of the economy, means either things could work out okay, because they all balance out, that's a positive interpretation, or the strength of the economy, the parts that are strong, just force the Fed to keep going because they're not moving in sync. Uh, and so as a result, you know, the tails of the, of the outcome for next year you know, marginally go up, given some of the trends we're seeing clearly in the economy right now. Jason, if this shift in probabilities across economic outcomes has occurred, what does this mean for the investment outlook? Well, let's just assume this is the case. At the margins, you've increased the probability of both the softest landing and a really hard recession. Well, the bulk of the probability is still in sort of our base case of a mild recession. So one is, is you know, investors shouldn't try and position for these tails because, again, they should be positioned more for the base case. But because those tail you know, possibilities look a little bit more likely at the margin than they did, you know, even say a few weeks ago, what you can anticipate is more market volatility, but also really more kind of large market swings, uh, as we've seen much of this year. Uh, and those would be exacerbated by investor positioning uh, as investors sort of update their, their probabilities for those different scenarios for next year in reaction to sort of every new single data point, any, any kind of comments from Fed officials, policy statements, because the closer we get to sort of determining which path we're going to take, the more the market becomes sensitive to it. And if you look at just the S&P 500 price action this year, in, in its own way, it also exhibits sort of this pendulum kind of behavior. We've, there's 10 months thus far uh, in the year that's done. If you look at the monthly returns for those, in six of the months, we've seen the total return be at least 5% in absolute value, meaning 
it's uh, either been at least 5% of the upside or five, minus 5% of the downside. That's happened six times out of the 10 months. And if we go just over the past you know, five or six months, you can actually see it swing from you know, negative performance in June to quite positive performance in July, negative in August and September, and then again, positive performance in October. So these kind of swings, that's likely to kind of persist as the market kind of really oscillates back and forth between its views of how those probabilities are evolving. Because if you think those are actually decently likely scenarios of you know, softest landing over the hard recession, then the market's going to have to move quite a bit to kind of price those in, and that leads to the volatility. And it's exacerbated because a lot of investors, especially you know, hedge funds, sort of these systematic strategies that tend to move their portfolios around fairly quickly, uh, they're positioned quite lightly right now. So if news changes, they will kind of chase that performance, and that's what we saw in the summer. That's what we saw to some extent in you know, October. It's continued a while long in this quarter. If we get negative news, they can then de-risk and we go then back on the other side because the market liquidity is quite poor. No one wants to step in and buy. So I think the reality that we've dealt with for much of this year, that's going to persist for the rest of this year. Now, certainly into next year, until it starts to become clear where is the ultimate destination, which of those different scenarios of where the economy is going to end up, which one is likely, then the market will start to kind of more price that in more definitively. And then I think some of the volatility, especially in the interest rate market, you know, declines. And as that happens, the overall market volatility declines with it. But until that, I think you just have to be prepared for you know, more sort of challenging and volatile conditions, at least for the rest of this winter. Jason, thank you for helping us to manage expectations as to how the economic landscape might take shape over the long term based on what recent policy developments and economic data has revealed and how in turn that might impact market momentum and how you should consider allocating accordingly. So thank you again for dropping by today, Jason. Appreciate it as always and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. You're welcome and have a great rest of the week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.